any closer to the tower, Dog Wonder. He's the same as God. Got him? Get it? <laughs> we'll get him, BF. <laughs> Let's go, Dog Wonder. <laughs> well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet one animal at a time. I'm Paul, and I'm not an animal expert. I am Donna, and I'm also not an animal expert. Today, we are going to be talking about falcons! Zoomy, yes. fly, little falcons. Woo! <laughs> yes, we are. But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Found this interesting little news story about South African lizards eavesdropping on birds to avoid becoming lunch. <laughs> Kalahari tree skinks and sociable weavers have something in common, and that is that pygmy falcons eat them. Yum. Mmm. <laughs> Pygmy falcons also use the nests of the dead weavers to lay their own eggs. Researchers discovered that when recordings of alarm calls made by the sociable weaver birds were played at the nest colonies, the skinks would flee to safety. But when the sounds of the birds in a more relaxed mood were, were played, the lizards would just carry on foraging or basking or doing whatever they were doing. Hmm. Some researchers were studying pygmy falcons and then they noticed that there were always more skinks around the trees with nest colonies than those without. So they thought, hmm, wonder what's going on here. In a six-month-long study, a team of researchers attached a wireless speaker to 20 pairs of camel thorn trees in a private game reserve in South Africa. A pirate game reserve? Arr! <laughs> In each pair of trees monitored, one had a weaver nest colony in it, and the other didn't. Observations of the lizard's behavior were made using a spotting scope, and the weaver bird recordings were played only when the weaver birds were not around. Hmm. The study found that the skink's behavior is at least partially learned, rather than instinctive, because the skinks at the weaver colony trees clearly responded to and distinguished between the recorded calls, while those at the trees without the weavers didn't. It was wow. pretty interesting, yeah. That's neat stuff. As for the pygmy falcons, they're fine. They're not starving. They're getting plenty to eat. <laughs> That's what they do. Well, I'm I'm assuming that the lizards aren't always great at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it when people are studying one thing, and then they notice something weird, and they're like, oh, let's also study this thing. <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, that's how science works. It's uh, as Doctor Seth says. It's never a eureka moment. It's always a, hey, it shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's kind of weird. I wonder why that's, why that's like what that. Is what? Yeah. Exactly. So, 
All right, well, before we get into the show, I just wanted to take a brief moment to let listeners, let the Varmindians know what's going on, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm listeners, wonderful Varmindians. I am having to go in for spine surgery at some point. I have a, I have a herniated disc in my neck that's making my life rather interesting at the moment. Um, and so it's got to, it's got to be taken care of. So things are going to be a little bumpy for a little while, but not too fret. We we will continue, and um, there may be another person that shows up now and then and says, "Hi, I'm in I'm in the navigator seat today," <laughs> and that'll be what it's all about. But I don't, I can't even give you a time window because we aren't entirely certain from moment to moment when surgery will happen, and and. I thought I knew, and then I now I don't, and so it's up and down and up and down and up and down, and things are just going to be a little weird for a while. So, yep, uh, yeah. So that's what's going on. <laughs> yes, we're still going to try to bring you regular content every every couple of weeks. Um, there might be a solo episode here or there. Mm-hmm. There might be a fill in, but we're we're going to try to give you new content uh, as much as we can for yes. a little while. Yep. And, Sorry and- about the bumpy road, and you know. This just happens when you get old, like me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, just a reminder, everybody, go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at VarmintsPodcast, all one word, and at VarmintsPodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We have a Pinterest board that's run for us by a wonderful Varminion, and she does a great job, so go over on over there and put Varmints into the search engine and you will find it. Um, they do a really good job on that, by the way. Uh, and yes. then we have some merchandise over at Redbubble. Just put Varmints into the search engine at redbubble.com, and you'll see all of the stuff that we have on offer there. So if you like the show, why not tell a friend? And introduce them to our podcast. We're everywhere the podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the best way to help us grow. Let's do it. Let's talk about some falcons and stuff. Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live? Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. So it's time to learn about animals. Yes, we are learning about falcons today. Falcons are birds of prey in the genus Falco. There are about 40 different species of falcon in the world. They can be found all over the world. Every continent has a falcon or two, except Antarctica. One of these days, we're going to do an animal that is in Antarctica, as well as every other continent in the world. I don't know what that animal is going to be, but it's not falcons. No. (laughs) Several species of falcon, like the peregrine falcon that I'm going to talk about in a minute, have adapted to urban settings as well as out in the wild. So they, falcons are absolutely everywhere. They are a bird of prey, so they are a, one of the bigger birds, you know, they have the horned sharp beak and the eyes and the, I don't, it's weird to have to like describe a bird to somebody. (laughs) (laughs) If you've seen an eagle or a hawk, they look kind of like that, except A little bit smaller, falcons and pygmy falcons only grow to be about 6 inches or about 15 centimeters long, while the jur falcon grows to be about 2 feet long or 60 centimeters long. So even the biggest falcon isn't all that big. And as a whole, falcons are some of the smaller birds of prey. There are some very, very small owls that are smaller than falcons, but overall, falcons are, they're pretty small. Yes. 
We get the word falcon from the genus name Falco, and that comes from the late Latin falx or falcus, which is the word for a sickle. And that is probably in reference to the bird's talons. Yeah. A male falcon is called a tercel. I had no idea. I didn't know where Toyota got the name tercel from. I didn't either. That's interesting. I used yeah. to have a tercel. I had more than one tercel, actually. Yeah. I, had, a- I used to really, really like that. That particular model. Yeah, that's a it's a male falcon. Ah, yeah, nice. A female falcon is generally just called a falcon. A falcon chick, uh, especially one that is being raised and trained for falconry, is called an eas or as, e y a s s. I think that they should be called falconets. Falconets. <laughs> <laughs> A group of falcons has several collective nouns, so you get to pick your favorite. A bazaar, mm. an eyrie, or eerie, E-Y-R-I-E. Eerie. Eerie? Yeah. A ringing of falcons, a stooping up of falcons. I have no idea what that even means. I don't either. That's weird. Or a, a tower of falcons. A tower? Huh. I didn't even of, think they were birds that hung out together very much. I guess they don't really, but I guess when there's a group of them, they have to have a name for them, and there's five names to choose from. I feel like they just hit... I've never had this happen before. I feel like that doesn't describe any of them, does it? I mean, Not really. I don't feel like that's a very good one. A stooping up of falcons. I'm going to pick that one, because it just mm. makes no sense. It sounds yeah. like something... It sounds very British. A tower of falcons seems to... I can sort of picture if you had, like, a tree that had several falcons resting in it in a line that went vaguely upward. Yeah. Or maybe it's because falcons sit on top of high things. I don't know. I don't know either. There, I don't there's, there's got to be... If you can think of a different name for a group of falcons, you know, shoot it over to us. Let us know. Put it on the discussion forum because yeah. then we'll talk it over because these are obviously inferior <laughs> to anything that they could have come up with. So do it. Five collective nouns and none of them are good. Not a single one is good. No. <laughs> Bad. Bad English language. You have lots of words. There's no excuse for this behavior. <laughs> awesome. Well, shall we talk about the American Kestrel? Shall yes. we do it? Oh, my gosh. The American Kestrel is so cute. That is... <laughs> it's not the most important thing about them, but they are adorable. They are a tiny little small falcon, and they are so cute. That's the thing about these falcons when I was doing research is everyone... One is cuter than the next, and they're little murderers, but they're yes. just the most cutest little murderers you've ever seen murder bird so cute (laughs) so they the american kestrel is about the size and shape of a morning dove though it has a larger head long narrow wings and a long square tip tail um in the in flight the wings are often bent back a little bit so you can kind of see a distinctive flight shape so for size um for length, they are both sexes are about the same size, and they are eight point seven to twelve point two inches, or twenty two to thirty one centimeters. And then for weight, they are two point eight to five point eight ounces, tiny, which is either eighty to one hundred sixty five grams. And their wingspan is twenty 
12.1 to 24.0 inches, and that's 51 to 61 centimeter. So not that big, really. Nope. Yeah. Not even a, the biggest ones have a two foot wingspan, but most of them are pretty small. They're they're pretty small. They're really right between a robin and a crow. So if you can imagine, that's a pretty small. Like take a robin. And buff it up, like send it to the gym and make it all swole. <laughs> <laughs> they are, that's, they don't yeah. look like robins, but that's about the relative size. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're so cute. Um, so they are really neat. They usually snatch their victims from the ground, though some of them can catch quarry on the wing. And uh, they are really, really buoyant in flight. They're really small. So they tend to get tossed around a lot in the wind, but they've got a lot of good dexterity because of that. So, Oh, they're just gorgeous. You really need to look them up and, and, and look at pictures of them. They occupy habitats ranging from deserts to grasslands to alpine meadows, and you're most likely to see them perching on telephone wires along the roadside or open country with short vegetation and a few trees. We have them here in Colorado, so they are so much fun. Um, there's not a whole lot about them that's different from other birds, except the, the thing that makes them stick out is that they are small. They are tiny small, and they're very, very wonderful. So, the American kestrel. Take a little peek around at these cutie guys, these cute little murder, murder cuties. <laughs> <laughs> they're so cute. So that's check awesome. Them out. American kestrel. Gorgeous. Well, we can't do this episode without talking about the peregrine falcon. Yes. Yeah, they are found just about everywhere in the world. The only major landmass where there are no peregrine falcons for some reason is New Zealand. Uh, oh, other, wow. Yeah, hmm. other than that, they're everywhere. Hmm. The reason that they are found everywhere is because one of their favorite things to eat is pigeons. Well, there you go. Yeah. And pigeons are everywhere, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. The peregrine falcon is a really successful example of urban wildlife, and they do really, really well there because of the pigeons and because they use the buildings as nest sites. And there's generally in urban areas, there's lots of pigeons, there's lots of ducks, there's lots of other birds for them to eat. The thing that peregrine falcons are most known for is their speed. A diving peregrine falcon can reach speeds of 200 miles an hour or 320 kilometers per hour, making it not only the fastest bird in the world, but the fastest member of the animal kingdom, period. Holy mackerel. Yes. The highest speed one of these birds has ever been recorded at is 242 miles an hour. That's nearly as fast as a Formula One race car. Wow. So I looked into how these birds can fly so fast. All birds that fly have a keel, and that is a bone that is specialized for flight. It's sort of a modified breastbone. A bird's muscles for flapping are attached to this keel. The peregrine falcon has a very large keel, which means more muscles and more flapping power. The falcon's pointed wings create an airflow, and that maximizes maneuverability, lift, and speed. The feathers are also really slim and stiff, and that reduces drag and it increases speed. And peregrine falcons form a sort of torpedo shape that is super aerodynamic. They're literally just built for pure speed. Wow. They have really amazing hearts and lungs. They have air sacs that keep the lungs inflated even while exhaling. So they're sort of doing a, a circular breathing. 
and their hearts beat between six and nine hundred times per minute, which is nuts. That's insane. Yep. That allows the falcon to flap its wings four times per second, which, again, it increases its speed. There are also little cones in their nostrils that help with that circular breathing, and it keeps that rushing air from actually injuring the bird. If you're flying that fast and the, the wind is blowing right up in your nose, you could, it could hurt you. Uh, but they have these little cones that act as, as baffles. And if you look at a peregrine falcon... You can see these little cones. They're perfectly visible, and they look like if you if you have a friend, if you're like if your good friend has like a booger in their nose, <laughs> and you're like, dude, you gotta you, you gotta bet in the cave there. <laughs> that, that's what these little nose cones look like. Oh, cool. Yeah, falcons fly around pretty far up, so when they see their prey, it can be they can be about a half a mile up when they see their prey. And when they're just flying along, like at a leisurely pace, they're already going between 40 to 60 miles an hour. So when they start diving, they're about a third of the way there. Holy. Holy (laughs) guacamole. Yes. When the falcon reaches top speed, it tucks its wings in, it dives down, it picks up even more speed, and then bam. Peregrine falcons don't swoop and grab and carry off something alive because they're just going too fast. So what they'll do is they're, they'll hit their prey with their talons. And right. what that does, it is kind of, it's sort of a shock absorber. It slows them down so they don't like slam into the ground and hurt themselves. Right. And once they hit their prey with their talons, they fly, you know, they'll, they'll kind of fly off and then they'll circle back around and they'll grab that prey that is either stunned or dead because stunned dead things don't fight back. Exactly. Yeah. There is a YouTube video that I'm going to put in the show notes. It is of a a peregrine falcon. um, And I think it's either a goose or a duck. But it hits this goose or duck. And you you don't even see it in the video until you slow the video down to like 25% of actual speed. And then you see kind of a blur. But it's like you see this duck and then all of a sudden you see feathers. Wow. It is nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I hope they don't just explode. I mean, obviously, there has to be something left. Otherwise, it'd just be a puff of feathers on just exploded duck oh. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no. Wow. There, there's definitely something left, but there's definitely a proof of feathers. Like, Oof, my goodness. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy. Hmm. So, overall, raptor numbers are decreasing because the Earth is undergoing climate change, which is a real thing. Mm -hmm. But overall, raptors, including falcons, are doing pretty well. There's not very many of them that are in any danger. Uh, Most zoos will have a bird of prey or two on display, and they'll bring them out and have them fly over the audience, and you can go watch them. They'll tell you a little bit about the birds, and that's always a lot of fun. Yeah, they have, or they did have that kind of show at Denver Zoo, too. Uh, yeah. It's not, not on right now, but I assume they'll bring it back when it's safe to do so. Yep. Yes. Many places have wildlife rescues, and they will take in hawks and falcons and other birds that have been injured by cars or hunters. So these wildlife rescues and, and conservation things and, and zoos, those are all great places to go see these birds, falcons, and other raptors for yourself. Right on. Yeah. It's amazing. All right, we are going to talk about falcons in pop culture and a couple other things. But first, just want to thank our Patreon supporters. 
Patreon is how we make sure the show gets hosted. It's how I can produce a YouTube video series called Paul's Food Box. And it's how the people who support us with as little as a dollar a month can get some early releases and nice goodies. You will always get this show for free, but if you want some bonus stuff and you can swing it at this very kind of difficult, weird time in our world, uh, only a dollar a month will get you there. So, patreon.com slash barmans. Hooray! Hey there everyone, Paul and Donna are a couple of nerds just like you and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. Alright, so my pick for pop culture this time is a youtube channel and it is all about falconry it's really cool it's this english lady that does falconry and the channel is called falconry and me you probably remember videos of her with her raven fable that we've posted on the discussion board every once in a while she has a really smart raven Um, but she is a falconer and she works with all sorts of birds of prey and her channel is all about lots of videos about her and her animals and i'm just going to read through the about page she says join me on my adventures with my birds of prey and other amazing animals too you'll find instructional guides on falconry techniques and close-up insights into the many birds i work with although you cannot learn falconry from videos and books alone I hope to answer some commonly asked questions or overlooked issues. Hope it helps, and happy, happy flying. And uh, it is really, really cool. So first we should talk about what falconry is, briefly. And then I'll play you a little section of her show. Falconry is the hunting of wild animals in their natural state and habitat by means of a trained bird of prey. Small and larger animals are hunted. Squirrels and rabbits often fall prey to these birds. There are two traditional terms used to describe a person involved in falconry. A falconer flies a falcon, and an ostringer flies a hawk. Um, In modern falconry, they use red tails, hawks, harris's hawks, and peregrine falcons. And those are some of the more commonly used ones. The practice of hunting with a conditioned falconry bird is also called hawking or game hawking. Although the words hawking and hawker have become used so much that um, to refer to petty traveling traders that the terms falconer and falconry now apply to most use of trained birds to catch game. So, interestingly enough, I know some people are probably anti-hunting and all that kind of stuff, but I wanted to point out that Falconry is considered to be a UNESCO intangible cultural heritage. So Cool. Yes. An intangible cultural heritage is a practice, representation, expression, knowledge, or skill considered by UNESCO to be part of a place's cultural heritage. Buildings, historic places, monuments, and artifacts, and physical intellectual wealth. It is an intangible aspect of a culture that needs to be preserved, right? Mm-hmm. So UNESCO has a, uh, they established these, <clears throat> this thing called the Convention for Safeguarding of Intangible Cultural Heritage in 2003 to help protect things like oral history, food heritage, 
dance heritage, etc., etc. And this happens to be one of those things, hunting heritage. So that's very cool. Yeah, uh, people have been hunting with birds for as long as anybody knows, and um, the evidence is, of course, argued over by historians and everything, but definitely at least as far back as ancient Greece and probably earlier. So go ahead and check that out and do some research from poking around. If you if you want to learn the history about it, just Google it and you'll get it. It's pretty interesting. It's too much to go into on this page, but it's a very, very long... Uh, it's a very, very long cultural thing that has been important to lots and lots of countries, not just European ones either. It's just It's been all over the world for ages and ages. So we're going to play you a little clip of Amy's channel, Falconry and Me, and this is her sort of instructing you about what to do with your bird. It's one of the very first sort of things that you learn as a falconer is to get your bird to hop up on your glove. It's pretty interesting stuff. So I thought a nice little sample. everyone today I'm going to talk about how we hold and handle our birds um, the way in which we approach them and how we feed them in the right manner these small things will make a massive difference to the way that you react to your bird and your bird reacts to you when we ask our bird to sit on the glove it's really where the beginning of all the trust develops so the way in which you pick your bird up will spell the difference between potentially a good or a bad session. It's going to set the pace and the feel of the day. So if you handle your bird in a comfortable and safe manner, um, your bird is going to trust you a lot more than if you're mishandling it and making it an uncomfortable journey. So the way in which we hold our birds, not only for safety, but also for their comfort, has a massive effect on their trust in us. So that's Amy, and that's sort of how she is in all of her instructional videos. It's pretty interesting stuff. Um, so definitely you should go over and spend some time on that channel, for sure. Yeah. And uh, falconry today, through the captive breeding of rescued birds in the last 30 years, there's been a huge resurgence of the sport with a lot of innovations, and its popularity has been going through the roof because they have lure flying displays at country houses and game fairs and um, it's probably more popular now than it has been in the last 300 years so it's pretty interesting yeah there's a really cool book about it that you might want to read called falcon fever which is by ornithologist tim gallagher editor of the cornell lab of ornithology's living bird magazine he wrote a book about it that's pretty interesting and uh, today, making use of the natural relationship between raptors and their prey, falconry is used to control pest birds at animals or and animals in urban areas and landfills and commercial buildings and airports. So they actually have more jobs now than they have for quite some time. Pretty interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. And I was very, very disappointed to see that people who engage in falconry today are not wizards with giant beards and long robes and <laughs> big gloves those big leather gloves that the the birds land on and they're they're not these mystical wizardy wizardy looking people they're like normal people 
No, but if if you are lucky enough to attend a Renaissance fair that has a falconer display, then you will see people in replica medieval garb, and they will be handling their birds um, from the back of of horses and stuff like that, and they'll do little displays at Renaissance fair, so you can sort of get there. I want to see that. Yeah, just check. It's not at every Renaissance festival, but they definitely have a presence out there, so... Check it out. You might be able to, and you might be able to find a display that there might be a um, a reenactor group that also happens to be do falconry just in your community. Who knows? You know, the yeah. SCA. Call the SCA and see if they know where to find a falconry display. So cool. Society for Creative Anachronism. Alrighty, so that's that. So check out Amy's channel. Really cool. She has a lot of really amazing birds, and you'll. But I warn you, make sure you have some time because you'll get in a vortex of bird <laughs> watching. Like she had, she has an incubator. She raises her own birds, and so some of them would, when they hatch, she does little videos about them and explains to you what's going on, what she's doing, and and uh, all about what what their health is supposed to be like and just it's really interesting so cool a little doggy outside totally agrees with me rarf, rarf. <laughs> super interesting rarf, rarf. it's a little dog across the way he's always arguing with my dogs well this week my pop culture pick was dino mutt dog wonder and you heard the clip from that cartoon at the beginning of the show Yes. Yes. That was an American animated television series produced by Hanna-Barbera Productions. It ran for only two seasons. It felt like it lasted a lot longer than that. Yeah, it does. But it's because it was in reruns for so long. I guess so. They were just showing the same ones over and over again. Yep. Two seasons in 1976 and 1977. The show centers on the Blue Falcon, who is a superhero, and his assistant, a bumbling yet generally effective robot dog, Dinomutt, who can produce a number of mechanical devices from his body. (laughs) Millionaire socialite art dealer Radley Crown and his mechanical dog, Dinomutt, stay in their base of operations in a city called Big City. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Big City. Yes. When they are alerted by the Falcon Flash, they head on over to the Falcon's lair, where they switch into their secret identities, the Blue Falcon and Dog Wonder where they jump into the Falcon car and speed into the fray against assorted villains. Yeah. My sister used to call him a a dollar store Batman. (laughs) Dollar store Batman. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) The cast of the Scooby-Doo show appeared as recurring characters on Dinobot, and they would help them solve crimes. And in the 2020 movie Scoob, which is supposed to be the first installment in a series of films, Set within a Hanna-Barbera shared cinematic universe, uh, Dinomutt and Blue Falcon are a major part of that movie. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Hanna-Barbera... Dollar Store Batman! (laughs) He's gonna be in a movie. Woohoo! Hanna-Barbera is doing a thing kind of like Marvel Comics did, where they are gonna have a series of movies with Hanna-Barbera characters that all kind of culminate, I guess, into a big Hanna-Barbera thing but it'll presumably be comedy right oh, i hope so because i mean you couldn't do i mean serious yeah no scoob is definitely an animated comedy and oh? I'm, I'm sure it'll be yeah <laughs> oh? <laughs> so yeah they're do- they're doing some kind of big hanna-barbera cinematic universe thing and so uh, it's gonna be exciting yeah sweet 
Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? Josh wants to know if you're going to eat a falcon. No. <laughs> no. No reason. No reason. Just not in the food box. So here's what I'm going to do from now on. When we when we have a an animal, whether or not we would eat that animal, I'm going to tell you what does eat that animal. Oh, okay. Cool. So humans and wolves tend to be the main predators of the falcon on the ground. So, hmm. so there's somebody eating falcons out there. And eagles and even large owls will go ahead and hunt smaller species of falcon because they're they're smaller. Yeah. Young and inexperienced falcons, they will just catch them in the air and eat them. Hmm. The eggs and chicks of the falcon are particularly vulnerable to being eaten by, you know, things that eat eggs and small birds. So yep. larger birds, snakes, uh, mammals, that kind of thing. Yes. My dog, Odie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He will eat a bird if he can get a hold of it. I've seen him do it. So. <laughs> it just... There's no way to stop him. It's not like I didn't try to intervene. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I thought the other day, like, okay, we might not eat an animal, but something out there is eating these animals, so. Of course. Yeah, yeah that's, they're that's in somebody's so food box. <laughs> <laughs> is always eating something. That's right. Yep. Wow, interesting. Hey, Paul and Donna. It's yes. me, Vlad Samtanovsky. <laughs> Hello. I guarantee you I can help you win your next trivia night. Or at the very least, make you the smartest person in the room. All I gotta do That's is not share too hard. I'm this alone in here. <laughs> animal fact of the week. <laughs> Vlad Samtanovsky, he probably has a, a falconer in his family line. Somebody, I'm one of sure. his ancestors. He's <laughs> some grim... Some grim, uh, hard staring guy out on the tundras hunting with his bird and, and like going, Hello, hello, boo boo. Hello, boo boo. Hello. Yeah. Are you ready to go hunting? Yeah. Such a good bird. Good bird. You will catch yeah. us meal tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Big, stern, tough people with their birds. Yeah. Hello. Hello, bird. Are you ready to go? Let's go. I'm going to talk about something that you touched on a few yeah. minutes ago, and that is yep. bird strikes at airports. Yes. Falcons are used to prevent those. Yes. Airplanes strike and kill around 10,000 birds a year, which works out to about 26 strikes every day. Mm -hmm. The first bird strike was recorded by the Wright brothers in 1905, so as soon as airplanes <laughs> started to fly, they started hitting birds. Yep. And the aviation wildlife hazard has been a risk to aviation ever since. The most well-known incident, I think it's the most well-known incident, uh, happened about 10 years ago. It's been 10 years already when a plane taking off from LaGuardia Airport in New York City had to land in the Hudson River because it flew through a flock of geese and it lost power in <gasps> both of its engines. Oh, no. Poor little geese. Yeah. Aww. Anytime an airplane hits a bird in the sky, that airplane is damaged in some way, and it's a yep. particular problem when the bird hits the engine or the windscreen. Aww. Yeah. The U.S. civil aviation... How much do you think the U.S. civil aviation industry spends just on bird strike-related damage? 
I'm going to guess lots of money. Lots of money. Over a billion dollars <laughs> with a B. Holy smokes. Yes. There is even a World Bird Strike Association <laughs> that keeps track of all the bird strikes and tries to find ways to to reduce those things. Airports have tried sirens and lethal measures to lessen bird strikes, but many airports are adding more birds in the form of trained falcons. Mm-hmm. So I checked, and as far as I know, the Pearson International Airport in Canada and Mexico City International Airport are using falcons to control bird strikes. And it's a pretty simple process. The falcons are turned loose, they make the rounds, they chase the birds away, and they come back for their reward. They don't necessarily kill the birds, they just get rid of chase them. them off. They chase them off. A lot of Get out of here. <laughs> a lot of airports still use sirens, pyrotechnics, dogs, guns as bird strike mitigations, mostly because they're cost effective. Uh, But the unique thing about using falcons is that generally the birds escape alive. And they're smart enough to not return or breed or mate. So they're not killing the birds. They're just, they're chasing them off. And then the birds are smart enough to know like, oh, there's a falcon over there. I guess we'll just uh, go over here and make a nest. Yeah. Falcons are also used at landfills, farms, government agencies, outdoor shopping malls like the one we have here, and beachside resorts to chase seagulls away. It's natural and it's effective and it works. And I just wanted to add really quickly that I bet you didn't know there is falconry going on at the Air Force Academy uh, right here in Colorado in Colorado Springs. Cool. Yeah. We'll put the address to the article about this in the show notes. But at the United States Air Force Academy, cadet falconers are trained to handle the birds and they basically just do it for spectators. So... They have public performances, and mostly at football games and cadet wing parades. The Falcons appear at a lot of athletic contests and at civic events. And cadet falconers currently use Gyre Saker and Gyre Peregrine falcon hybrids in flying demonstrations. And they have also historically used prairie falcons. Hybrids are used because they combine size and flying ability, and they're flown all year long, weather permitting to keep them in top condition. So it says uh, falconry is a fantastic and rewarding extracurricular activity offered to cadets. There are usually 12 falconers with four chosen from each new class at the end of the year to replace the graduating seniors. The new falconers begin training in February under the leadership of experienced upperclassmen and the officer in charge is a master falconer. Pretty cool. Very cool. And you can go look at their star performers. And their birds are so pretty. Oh, they're so cute. They've got Ace, Apollo, Cairo, Karina, Oblio, and Zeus. And they are just adorable. Oh my god, they're so cute. Zeus is a two-year-old American kestrel. So that's the smallest one in their their little group of falconies. Oh my gosh, they're so cute. That's awesome. Ziva. You should go check it out. Pretty cool, man. Very cool. Air Force. That's so funny that the Air Force would have falconry. (laughs) (laughs) I find it funny anyway. That's awesome. (laughs) Hey, thanks everybody for listening today. Our show is brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by the very talented Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. 
It's the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who is eight years of age or younger who wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details, and we will make it extremely easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. As well as the little dog outside. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't control him. He's not mine. Yeah, he's so. good. So who do we have now for uh, our Rugrat of the Falcon episode? Our Rugrat this week is Rugrat legend Nano. Hooray! He is joined by his friends Zeke and Zella. And when they heard that we were talking about Falcons, their little brains immediately went Peregrine Falcon. So they have something to say about Peregrine Falcons. Well, alrighty then. Hello, Vomits. My name is Nano. Hello. Hi, Vomits. My name is Zeke. Hi, Vomits. My name is Zella. Okay, guys. Hello. Can we, one at a time, tell them something we know about Peregrine Falcons? Oh. Okay, go ahead, Nana. They're the fastest animal on earth oh my goodness <laughs> they they can fly their their speed height is two is 200 miles per hour oh goodness they can they can they can grab for their prey very fast those are all really great facts they can swoop down so fast you wouldn't even see it coming oh my goodness <laughs> I'll go down to the bottom. Okay. All right. Do we know anything else? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. One more uh, thing. Um, <laughs> peregrine falcon beads beaks are like are like hooks. Oh. But they're not like bald eagle hooks. Okay. They're not as that sharp. But if if you can feel it, mm-hmm. it could poke you. But it wouldn't hurt that much. Okay. And and um, peregrine falcon claws are really sharp. They're okay. like. Blades on a spear. Oh, goodness. And, and they're kind of pointy, but not really. Okay, all right. Can Thanks. everyone say, can we ever send thank you to Varmints? Thank, thank you, Varmints. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you. That was the best. They are. Thank I you so much. The- Why are we even doing the show? <laughs> Just give it to them. They say never, never, ever compete with animals and and now, uh, children, and <laughs> there's a reason for that. Yeah, so. no, we just might as well send them the, mic- just, the microphones. Just, yeah, just give them the mic here, just talk. <laughs> Doesn't matter. All right, woohoo! Thanks, everybody, again for listening, and until next time. Be nice to animals. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com. Yeah, I had to get up and get get her because the bathroom door is closed. The, they have their little kitty area in the bathroom, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, Valera is like, the door to my litter box is closed, and if you don't open it, I will poop in the hallway. It doesn't matter <laughs> oh, to me. No. So <laughs> I had to like get up and go over there, don't poop in the hallway. All right, I won't. <laughs> But you better open the door. That's funny. Ugh, okay.